Welcome to the Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. Each week, Canadian running staff writer Maddie Kelly and I bring you the news, results, and drama from the exciting world of running. This is The Rundown. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another edition of The Rundown, the first for February. Is that right, Maddie? It does feel like a long time ago, but we are eight days into the month of February now. Welcome back to another rundown. Um, Maddie, you just got back from a trip recently, and we will discuss all of the details of that trip when we get to the rundown portion of this conversation. But right off the bat, maybe you could give us a quick little indication of how you're feeling coming off of your weekend. So I'll talk track results later, but the more pressing thing I have to talk about from my weekend is my flight to Boston, which... That's what I was hoping to hear about. Thank God. Uh, So if... I just haven't been on a Friday night flight in a while, especially not like a commuter kind of flight. And it was like speed dating in a tin can. Like I saw two different women, like they had met each other in the bar. I knew all this because like when you've been drinking, you speak quite loudly. So they'd met each other at the bar. Our flight was delayed. They continued to drink together at the bar. They got on the plane. They each met a man. That man, those two different men, each bought them more drinks on the plane. And then when they were getting off the plane, they each had dates in Boston. Like, it was incredible. Like, the conversation was not, you know, like, particularly, like, nuanced. But it was such fun people watching. And kudos to these women Anyway, they were just – they were having a blast. And by the time I landed, I was like, I don't care how this race goes. Like, this people watching was like a gift from the gods. It was just a riot. Like, it was so fun. That sounds highly entertaining. And what I'm about to say is obviously not a COVID-friendly thing to do. But I'm imagining – and maybe someone's already done this. But I'm imagining in, like, post-COVID times when it's safe to fly, this would make a fantastic column or book like it could be like like the Mile High Club 101 or something, like some kind of stories from the love stories from the air. Like someone could just take flights back and forth and like document all of the different matches that they find on all of the different flights they take. Cause I guarantee you what you experienced, although it sounds novel to me, it does not I'm sure it happens more often than we know. Oh, for sure. And even actually speaking of COVID conscious. So it was like These women were lovely. Like, I'm not actually, like, I'm not being hard on them. Like, I don't, I don't actually think they had any malintent. They had just been overserved. And so, like, one of the women kept taking her mask down to talk to the guy she was flirting with. And the flight attendant kept being like, oh, like, you have to wear your mask. And she was, she's British. And she was like, oh, like, we're just having a chat. And she was like, be that as it may, you must put your mask on. Like, it was just like, just like not connecting uh you know with the rest of the world the way she needed to but she was having a good time and i don't i don't think she was trying to not be compliant i think she had simply had too much to drink anyway it was fun to watch well wherever those women are in the world right now uh, maybe they're listening to this podcast who knows i hope that you had a fun and safe post-flight adventure in the city of boston or wherever you were going next who knows maybe they found the loves of their lives Great story, Maddie. Thanks for sharing that right off the top. Well, as I mentioned, we will get into all of the results of the weekend, including 
co-host Maddie Kelly's performances because they were rocking. But before we get to any of that, we're so excited today because Maddie and I are joined once again by a guest co-host. Today we are joined by Queen Sage Watson. Sage is a national record holder in the 400 meter hurdles. She's the defending Pan Am Games champion in that event, as well as a two-time Olympian. And in fact, one of the really fun things is that Sage was housemates with Maddie and I in Tokyo this summer. Our little, I think it was nine people. How many were there? Two, four, six, seven. I think there's seven. Yeah, there's seven of us. Lose track of it. I feel like I wasn't even there sometimes. Anyway, Sage was uh, a lovely addition to our house. She is also a multi-time member of the 4x400 meter relay teams repping Canada at major international events. She is known not only for her fast times on the track, but also, of course, her signature red lipstick, which she wears in all of her races. Sage is a proud Alberta native, but is joining us today from Atlanta, Georgia, where she currently trains. Hi, Sage. Welcome to the ShakeOut. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, when I found it was going to be you two, like doing this, I was just like, yeah, Tokyo reunion. Um, we had such a, a good little suite. Like it was so much fun and the chats we'd have. And I think that's one of the, you know, the best things about the Olympics games is like just bringing everyone together and competing as a team. So it was an honor to have you two as my teammates. Oh, that's so nice. I know that we felt so bad, Sage, because I think like five of the seven of us were competing on like the first the first day of competition. And then we all just kind of got out of Dodge and kind of left you. <laughs> Our host diminished very quickly after that like first couple days of competition. But you obviously represented our house really well. But we felt bad. That I think at one point you were like, wait, you're leaving too? You're leaving too? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, it, I mean... That, that's one of the great things about the Olympics is like everybody at the, like the closing ceremonies, like getting to celebrate, you know, that was one of my fondest memories from 2016. And that's what made, I think, Tokyo so much more difficult, like as grateful as I am, Tokyo was able to put on. I feel like we just we missed that like little bit of fun because the rule was 48 hours of, after your competition of anybody to know you had to like be out of the village. So it was kind of we were comparing it to like the Hunger Games where we like if you didn't make the next round of your <laughs> race, you were just like sent home. And it, it you know, it's sad, but it's it was funny because, you know, everybody they would finish their rounds or they finish the final and they were gone. There was no chance to like hang around, celebrate with the team. It was just like, you're done. <laughs> well, like I even, you know, like I remember a bunch of people saying like, oh, that's so cool. You got to watch Lucia run because we'd done, you know, like the whole lead up to the, well, we trained together for like seven years and then done the whole lead up to the Olympics together. And I was like, no, I watched from Canada. And people are like, how is that possible? I was like, I was at Pearson Airport on August 1st. Because of also how the time change works, you just gain, like, it's like 13 hours just, like, comes back to you, right? So, yeah, it was it was the next day in Canada, really, that we were home after competing, which is just wild. Yeah, that was crazy. I, I, re I just felt kind of grateful that we made the 4x4 final because if we wouldn't have made the 4x4 final, we would have got sent home like right before the closing ceremonies. And so I just remember us as like a group, you know, we want to make the final, of course, but we're like, oh, I just want to like <laughs> enjoy this Olympic experience a little bit more. Um, so it was it, it was crazy that people were just like leaving so fast and like you'd message people and they'd be like, oh, I'm back home already. And you're like, I still have like a week left here. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it felt like forever. I think you must have been one of the athletes who was in the village the longest out of all of Team Canada because I know that my training partner, Andrea, because of the way that the 5K and the 10K were, like the 5,000 was the first event and the 10,000 was the last. So I know she was there for a really long time. And maybe the men's sprinters because of their individual events and their relays. But you and like you must have been one of the other only other people who like kind of covered the entire athletics competition in Tokyo. Yeah, because I was one of the first groups who went to the village um, from our training camp in Gifu. And then, you know, because of the four by four, whole four by four team had to stay till the end. So uh, I was there a long time. Not that I really wanted to be there that long. <laughs> it was just the way it was spread out and it worked out. But yeah, um, four rounds on the track. Definitely after the Olympic Games, I was done. And I know everybody else who, you know, I mean, just the emotion going into one race itself is just anybody can say it. The Olympics are exhausting because there's so much emotion and hard work and all your energy for years and years is just put into this one moment. And you kind of finish that moment and you're just like drained. And I remember after the Olympic Games, I was I don't know about you guys. I was exhausted. I, you know, I tried to one, run one more race after the games. And I think that was a huge mistake for me because I really felt like the Olympics took everything out of me emotionally and physically. I was so done. <laughs> it's interesting you say that. I mean, again, I can't imagine <clears throat> that pressure of having the four rounds and especially like you have your individual event, which you have to focus on so much. And then you have this huge task of anchoring our relay team in that final as well. And it's interesting hearing you talk about like, because I know Maddie shut down her season shortly after the games as well for the same reason. And I came home and I was in Toronto for less than two weeks and then I was off for five more weeks. Now, mind you, I was rabbiting, so it was a little bit different than necessarily competing, but it was still all the travel, getting yourself up. You know, you have to be kind of race day ready. And I hear experiences like yours and Maddie's where you actually kind of shut things down a little sooner. And I think if I could go back and do it again, that's actually a very smart decision because I think my fatigue has been like delayed so much longer because I sort of had like a full post-Olympic season. Whereas like, I know at least for Maddie, you know, you took the time you needed Maddie, but it sounds like you were able to get back into it a little faster. Whereas I still feel tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I also knew going into it, like I, there was never a race plan after the Olympics. Like I knew like once the Olympics are over, like I need, I need a break. And weirdly, like after I was disqualified and I knew I would be going home because like they get you that plane ticket real fast. Like you are like, I, I was just like kind of like sat and started crying and a few people around us for Team Canada were like, no, like you have nothing to be like, you should be so proud. Like you handled yourself so well, like, you know, and you made it here. And I was like, I wasn't even crying because I was sad. I was almost just relieved. Like there was this big part of me that was just like, thank God that's over. Like I was so proud to be there, but also like, you know. We all qualified for the Olympics during a pandemic. It was really, really hard. And I think there was a big part of me that was just like sweet relief. Like it was just like the first real release I'd had in months. Yeah, I think, you know, we all struggled finding races before. It wasn't easy. And I think that's what made it so hard the years leading up. You know, I mean, 2020, we're all training and like hoping maybe we can get into a race or maybe here. And but the pressure of just like, Will there be the, an Olympic Games? Is this going to for sure happen? Like it was like an emotional roller coaster for two years, 
And then, you know, leading up to the games, I know that um, I didn't have uh, like exact, like in previous years I had, okay, these are all the races I'm going to run, you know, this, this, and this, because things were getting canceled and things were getting switched around. So I was like, I hope I'm racing in two weeks, but you know, if not, I need to have a backup plan. And I think a lot of us were so used to having, no, this meet's for sure going to happen. You know, well, for sure I'll be able to go to the Canadian trials. You know, that wasn't the case. Like I couldn't go to the Canadian trials and it was just this, up and down. And so once we raced at the Olympics, I think everyone was just like, Oh my, that roller coaster, the roller coaster rides over, like everybody get off. <laughs> Cause that was, it was a lot. I know a lot of athletes have talked about that. And I think that, um, just like hearing some of the stories, the winter Olympics are going on right now. I think it was the same and is kind of the same for the winter Olympic athletes as well. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before on the show, but I think there's going to be like this, the last two years and like the year we're in now is going to provide incredible like doctorate theses for people in the future to study kind of like the longer term, like, and it's, it's exactly that the psychological and the emotional effects of this even more so than the physical, right? Because everything you just described Sage is something that I think everyone can relate to a little bit. Like even if you're, you know, a recreational runner and you've been preparing for a marathon and it gets canceled, like you don't really know where you're going to go from there. But yeah, when, when the Olympics are on the line, it definitely adds a layer of of stress (laughs) with all of that uncertainty. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like I know when in 2020, I was able to go over to Europe to run two races and I was like, I'm about to get on a plane in a pandemic and go to Europe. I was, you know, anxious, nervous, all these things. And I just felt so strange about it because my brother couldn't play little league baseball, but I could travel across the world to go compete at a diamond league race. It was just such a backwards thing. So I think you're so right. Everybody kind of went through these things of not knowing and so much uncertainty that it has caused a lot of emotional stress. And I think people still today are feeling it, you know, it's, you know, hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think we're starting to see it, but I think it's caused so much, um, on like young athletes, professional athletes, recreational athletes, you know, everybody who's just trying to move forward and better themselves. hundred percent. Um, so Sage, since we're right, jumping right into this conversation, let's, let's, I can't believe it's been six months. First of all, can you guys believe that it's been six months since the Olympics? No, that's crazy. Isn't that wild? It feels like it was like three months ago. <laughs> it's only two and a half years to the next one, whoa, guys. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pump the brakes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I know when I hear people like, oh, it's only t- two and a bit years. I'm like, what? <laughs> it is It is very exciting. But it's also like, I mean, we talk about how time is like this fake construct all the time. But it really is bizarre to me. Like it hit me. It's February 8th. And that's, you know, the Olympics ended at you know, early August. So it really has been six months, but because it doesn't feel that long ago, let's go back Sage. And uh, maybe you could just give us some of your reflections and your overall thoughts on what these Olympics were for you personally. And we should just recap quickly that you were, you made it through the heats to the semifinals of the 400 hurdles. You placed fifth there. And then you also, as the anchor of the four by 400 meter relay team brought that team from the uh, semis into the finals where you ended up placing fourth as a team in a really extraordinary race. So maybe you can give us kind of your general thoughts and reflections on what this Olympics was for you. Yeah, for sure. Last year, honestly, was the hardest um, season year uh, of my life when it came to track and field. 
you know, I, I was back in Arizona after spending a lot of time in Canada during the pandemic. Um, I really missed my family. Um, years prior, I had gone through a lot of things emotionally. So coming back training, you know, I'm like, it's the Olympic year. We got to do it. Got to push hard. Got to do all these things. And I ended up getting hospitalized for stomach issues and stomach pains. And it plagued me for months. And it was really hard to train through. And then um, <laughs> a month after getting these stomach issues resolved, I ended up pulling a muscle in my back and I couldn't run. I couldn't lift. I couldn't do anything. And this was the beginning of June and the Olympics are next month. And so I just remember being in such a dark place at that time because I couldn't even, this is what like got me the most one day I was at a big water jug. It was like a 50 pound, like water gallon. And I was trying to carry it up to my like apartment and I like get into my apartment, I go to bend down the water jug and my back like wouldn't bend. And so I dropped the water jug and it like splashed all over my apartment, like I like 50 pounds of water, like five got like, pew! and I, my apartment was like a giant puddle and I just sat down on the floor and I was just in tears sobbing because not because the water jug, yes, that sucked because I was like, the Olympics are in one month and I can't even lift a water jug up. And I think we all go through those. I mean, it's, it's not an uncommon story. We've all had injuries and seasons and moments we doubt ourselves. But it was just like a really low point for me, you know, going into the games where I thought, you know, I was going to have this great season and I was going to be running fast. You know, after breaking the Canadian record in 2019, I thought my progression was just going to go straight up. And it was kind of the opposite. I was struggling to run um like the Olympic standard, you know, I was struggling to just hit times that were so easy for me the year prior. It was really tough on me mentally. So my prep going into the games was just be a fighter and you just got to fight through it. And so I went into the games like ready to give it my all. We all are there. We're all ready. It's the Olympics. You got to give it your all. You have one shot. So, you know, I went into the heats of the 400 hurdles and I just, gave it my all. I actually hit a hurdle um, because I was just so like trying to do things right. And I like broke open my knee and I barely made, barely made the semifinals, you know? And so my knee's bleeding. I get off the track and it was like a relief. I'm like, okay, at least I made the finals, but that was not, or the semifinals, but that was like not pretty. <laughs> like, so I was like, okay, I got to get myself together because so much was on the line. Um, and I felt so much pressure because the last two world championships, I had both, I'd make both those finals, 2017, 2019. So, you know, I was kind of expected to make the final. I had maintained, you know, my top eight position in the world. So I felt like I needed to do it. I knew my Nike contract was on the line. If I wanted to get a contract renewed, I needed to get top eight in the world. So I went into the semifinals with like the pressure of the world on me and, um, and it started pouring rain as I, as we were in the blocks and all this rain came down and I honestly like gave it my all that I had in that moment, but it wasn't enough. And, um, I was pretty heartbroken after that race because, um, I just, I felt defeated. I felt like, you know, as much as I fought, I still didn't accomplish what I needed to accomplish. And I felt like I let myself down and I let, you know, everyone else down around me. So I had a little sob for probably a day and then I had to get myself back together because I still had a goal. I still had a mission. We had this four by four, this women's four by four and you just having that team and like having the girls around, it like really gave me my strength back after being so crushed for not making the Olympic finals. Like 
you know, it really is as much as track and field is an individual thing. We feed off each other so much as a team. And I know you guys feel that, you know, we're all together, Team Canada, even in our room, cheering each other on. You know, you're there to support one another, but still focused on your event. So having the four by four and having the girls that really like uplifted me and made me feel strong. And we ran um, pretty much a new PR for our group in um, the heats and we were uh, there's this awesome video we're all looking up at the board because I ha- I didn't know we had if we had made the finals or not because I think we got one of the last spots in based on time and so I'm just looking up at the board and I actually need contacts but I, I don't wear contacts so I'm looking up at the board and I can't really see it and I'm trying to focus on the the times and numbers I'm trying to read it and then all of a sudden I see our time and I just knew and but the other girls it was so funny behind me they they'd like already seen it but like I just had just seen it so we we all hugged and we were so excited and um we had so much I mean just joy and motivation and team pride going into the final the final of the women's 4 by 400 meter relay. And it is the final event on the women's card. There you see the start list. Canada. Only one medal ever in this event. Silver. Back in 1984. And they've gone with open 400 runners and Sage Watson from the hurdles. Um, I had then got switched to run anchor. Um, team picked me around anchor and anchor can be kind of a stressful job because you're the last one it comes down like all up to you I mean it's a whole team thing we all need to work together but in the end it's you know what place are you going to cross the line and so I remember getting the baton and just running my heart out and I was in third place um I think for about like 350 meters anchoring for Canada is Sage Watson making up the ground on her is Candace McLeod. And then I just knew the Jamaican girl was like right on me here. And I think she had she had just made the Olympic final in the 400s. I knew I had to run my heart out if I wanted to keep this third place position. And when she passed me, um, you know, kind of it was a little bit before the line. I really felt like my heart just like broke. Um, I'm going to get emotional talking about it, but um I know like it's not all just down to me, but my heart broke when I crossed the line in fourth because I had crossed the line in fourth um, at the Rio Olympics. I had crossed the line in fourth um, at the World Relays. And so it was just so defeating for me, even though we had just ran, you know, a new team personal best and so close to the Canadian record. I I was still like very heartbroken um, because I had felt like I let down the team because I lost it in that last few meters. And I had a hard time after the women's four by four. Um, like, as you can see, it still makes me upset to this day, but I still like didn't let it get me too down because I was so proud of these women and like what we had accomplished. But, you know, I've been on that senior women's four by four team since 2015. I've competed, you know, at all the Olympics, all the world championships since 2015 and just getting so close to a medal, like so many times that, you know, when we really wanted it at this games and we just were so close and we just didn't get it, it was tough, but I still, you know, that was also emotionally draining for me leaving the games and feeling that, but I'm still so proud of our team and what we were able to put together. And, you know, I keep saying, oh, the next one will be it. I've been saying it since 
since 2015. But, um, you know, I think we're, we're really progressing. We have such a strong team. We're so close to the Canadian record, which has been held for decades. So we're on the right track. But yeah, the Olympics was an emotional roller coaster that just truly drained me. And as you can still see today, I'm still pretty emotional about it when I think about it. So Sage, how did you like, how did you regroup from that? How did you like accept that heartbreak and sort of move through it? Or are you still working on moving through that? Like, how did you, you know, get your desire back to run track and field? Um, yeah, after I had a huge emotional breakdown, I don't know if I've ever cried or been up that upset. I was just so upset, but I was really grateful. My boyfriend was there. He was coaching on Team USA at the Olympics. So he literally, like, I went to the warm-up track because we go through it. I mean, I'm not sure if everybody knows this, but you guys know this. You get off the track. You go through media. Media takes forever. You still have that walk to get your stuff, and then you have that long walk back to the warm-up track. So I'm just trying to keep myself together. You know, I'm like, don't. Don't be too upset. You know, just hold your head high. You got fourth at the Olympics. We, we ran the one of the best times in Canadian history. Like, hold your head high. And I'm holding my head high, but I still felt, like, heartbroken. Like, just not okay with what had just happened. And I get to the warm-up track, and I just sit down. And there's not a lot of people there because it was the last day. <laughs> and so I just sit down, and I just had myself a really nice pity party and cried. And my boyfriend was there and he scooped me up in his arms and was just like, if you're going to be okay, like this is sports, like it's okay. And I just remember that moment. That will always be like a core memory of mine, just being so heartbroken, but, you know, having him there to like help uplift me. And it's funny because after that, I knew I needed a change in my athletic career. I needed to make a big change um, and take a risk. So I left Arizona. I moved out here. Um, my boyfriend is now my track coach. Um, I'm training with a whole new group of elite athletes and women here um, in Atlanta, Georgia. So I just kind of just shook everything in my life up <laughs> and just made this change. But to say that I still don't deal with, you know, that heartbreak would be a lie, but I am getting stronger. I'd have so much motivation. You know, I continue to push myself on the track, but I think we can never truly let go of those, you know, those losses. Those will always be a part of us, but it's just knowing, you know, how to look at them in a way that motivates you and to look at them and acknowledge the good that, that was in those memories. That's a really lovely sentiment. And I should just say, Sage, like, I know that so much of what we feel as athletes just has to be our own internally. And so, like you said, it doesn't matter. It Well, maybe it does. It helps, but it doesn't change everything to hear someone say over and over, you ran so great, or like, it was still such a great outcome. But just like, I do want to acknowledge that you and that group of women ran unbelievably well. Like, it was interesting because I've talked with Glenn Roy Gilbert, the head coach of the team since then. And in fact, he gave a little presentation a couple months ago and he highlighted your team's result. And he was like, this group of women is the most like poised, composed, mature, like know themselves so well. And maybe you can, I mean, you can definitely speak to this better than I can, but he alluded to the fact that you guys changed up the order going into that final and that you kind of took ownership as a group of that decision. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Because I think that's a really interesting piece of all this too. Yeah, I, so I'd always ran anchor and honestly, I have no problem running any leg because 
you, we all got to put in, we all got to put it in, you know? And so I got put in, um, I was put in third position, I think for the, I can't even remember. <laughs> I was put in third position and I really liked it because I was like, man, like this feels like a little bit less pressure here in this third position. Um, so we had this, you know, talk in, um, Kyra who ran anchor, she didn't feel comfortable with it. And, um, we all want to feel, and you want to feel when you step on that track, like, I know what I'm doing. I feel comfortable. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so we all as a group decided to make the decision to make the order, you know, how we wanted it going into the final. And I think, you know, we are a mature group of women because we all could just sit down and have this conversation and, no one felt impartial. They were just like, whatever I feel comfortable in, that's what I'm doing. And we just all stepped to the, up to the plate and like took our positions. And yeah, this group of women, like I, I can't speak any higher of um, our women's four by four program and the team we've built because we're all just ready to run in whatever position, whatever time, and just give it our all at that moment. So yeah, I'm not discrediting how amazing this group is because we're pretty badass. <laughs> you sure are badass. But I guess that so that kind of gets to the point I was I was going to make was like you it's kind of like being the goalie during a shootout, right? Like it's really the whole team that contributes equally to the outcome, but you took on that role of the extra pressure partly it sounds like because you'd had that experience in the past, right? And like Kyra is an amazing runner. I mean, we've talked so much, Maddie and I, on the show about the depth of women's 400 meter running in Canada right now and how exciting it is. But she's a much younger athlete. She has less international experience, whereas you've been in this position more often. And that doesn't mean that there should be more pressure on you, but in a way, like you stepped into that leadership role as the anchor, partly because of that. And then that ends up really, it sounds like contributing to the emotional outcome for you personally, taking on the weight of the team. Is that fair? That's fair. And I have no problem taking on the weight of the team because um, I feel that, you know, I've been on this team for so long that it is my responsibility to take on the weight and to have these prep talks with the girls um, to get us ready. Because, I mean, I love this team. I love what we do. I don't mind taking on the weight. And I, you know, as much as it like was hard on me emotionally that I was ready to step up to that. And yeah, it is a little bit more pressure running anchor because you're coming through at that spot. But I didn't mind doing that because, you know, I had been doing it for years and, um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy spot. I was heartbroken in Rio. I've been heartbroken a lot of times from taking that anchored position, but, um, man, it's just so exciting to be a part of like Canadian history. Like we've never like been doing this well, this consistent with our women's four by four program. So it's truly amazing. That's so exciting. And well, as Maddie very, um, kindly reminded us we're only two and a half years away from the next Olympics, but before then we've got a couple of world championships to get through. So I know there's a lot more excitement to follow both with you individually, Sage, and then also with this relay team. But you mentioned that you made the move, um, you made a number of moves sort of like physically and metaphorically after after the Olympics. And you think, I think you spent six years in Arizona before this. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'd been in Arizona. I originally went to Florida State University and I was at Florida State University for three years until I transferred and finished out my collegiate career at University of Arizona. And then I stayed there um, 
I think I was there for seven years now that I think about, um, for five years, um, after, or for the past, yeah, four or five years, um, you know, running professionally. And so that's kind of where I built my life. That's where I was based. And I still, um, I miss training with the collegiate athletes all the time. I miss, you know, my coach, Fred Harvey. Um, I have such fond, like wonderful memories, but I think we all can kind of feel when we're ready for a change. Um, it's like this little whisper back here and you like ignore it for a long time. You're like, no, 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 I'm fine. But it had been whispering at me for over a year and, um, it was kind of there that I needed this change. I needed a shift. And so finally, you know, after I said, you know, even though I'm not in like the best emotional state, um, I know that I need to make this change, uh, not only for my career, but like for me as a person to grow and to, you know, experience something new and to honestly step outside my comfort zone because I found the most success when I'm truly uncomfortable and I leave a situation where it feels cozy and nice and go somewhere uncomfortable. That's when I found like my, my true progress happens. Ooh, that gave me chills. That's inspiring for anyone listening, I think. <laughs> um, well, that's that's awesome. And it's really neat that you're able to train now with your your partner as your coach and with a new group of women. But Sage, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is that you've posted on social media recently about another big change, which has to do with your sort of sponsorship situation and this new initiative that you're doing this year called Running in Red. So maybe you can tell us about that because I've been dying to hear more about this. Yeah, I'm, you know, so excited about this. I like my whole this, I feel like this change is all happening at once. And so, like I said, I kind of knew that, you know, my Nike contract wasn't going to be the same. And I had this thing where I was kind of thinking like, all a half of last year I was like, wouldn't it be cool to like be an attached and wear what I want and represent the things I want? Because I feel as professional athletes, we get so beholden to, I mean, we need to, it's our career. We need to make money, but we get so beholden to, um, specific sponsors and, you know, specific things we do. And I was just like, what if I could like kind of create my own little thing? And so this year, um, when I didn't resign with Nike, I was, sad, but like excited because I'm like, I'm going to do my own thing. So running red lipstick has always kind of been the thing I wear. I don't claim it as my own. I love it when I see like other women wearing red lipstick. I like love it because for me, it's all about, you know, making myself confident, making me feel powerful, making, um, a statement that like, this is who I am. I encourage everyone. If you got that like lucky socks you wear or, lucky bracelet, whatever it is, whatever helps you step into that like limelight, whatever helps you step on the track and makes you feel confident and ready to go, you know, go ahead and do it. And so red has been my um, confidence color. And so this year I've decided to, you know, I'm wearing my red, a red uniform I got together and I am deciding, have decided to shed light on organizations, fundraisers and groups that I truly believe in. And so I'm donating um, Olympic gear, um, old Nike clothing and all of these things to currently right now I'm raising money for um, a program that a fundraiser I started back home in my community in Medicine Hat, Alberta, and it, we called it Brews for Shoes. And it started out a local brewery in the Medicine Hat Track Society. We had this huge fundraiser that I was a part of. And we raised money. It was kind of my idea. I wanted to give back to my community in some way. So we raised um, money for sports specific shoes for kids who are in need. 
And so for the past two years, we've been able to donate wrestling, basketball, volleyball, track shoes, track spikes to kids in the community. And it has been so rewarding. And so I just want to kind of keep this going. And so I just donated um, the proceeds from my Olympic phone to that organization, and I'll be donating some more proceeds as well. So that's kind of the initial thing that's gotten started. Um, I just want to be able to give back to the community that honestly gave me so much. You know, Medicine Hat was believed in me when I was just like a little, little girl, like running and not knowing how to hurdle or anything. And so I really want to give back to the community. And I think that, I mean, we can all say when we get like a new pair of shoes or a new like outfit, we're like, oh yeah, like I feel good. Like I feel a little bit more confident. And so I remember as a kid getting a new pair of track spikes and being like, I'm going to run fast in these, you know? And so I think that getting kids a new pair of sports specific shoes just gives them that extra bit of edge, that extra bit of confidence. And that truly helps them play in their sport. But I'm also, um, going to be partnering with another organization in the community. I'm not allowed to kind of announce it yet. We're still wrapping, but wrapping up on it, but um, it's going to be supporting kids in the area as well for sports. So I'm just kind of getting this movement started where I'm running for more of a cause than just for a sponsor. And it's been truly rewarding. Sage, that's so exciting because I do think, I think there's so many people who you know, go through a contract reduction or loss and then, you know, they see it as a negative. But there really are, I mean, as Kate and I have each experienced, there is there is kind of a beauty in in running for yourself and like signing up to do this and, you know, get, you know, you're not sporting a logo, you're not getting paid necessarily, but you're doing it for you. And you're not only doing it for you anymore, but you're doing it for this community that's very important to you, I think it's very impressive that you were able to see that that quickly because I think, you know, you could have very easily been like, and to cap off a crappy year, I lost my contract. And you, you know, you already had it in the works that you were going to make lemonade beforehand. So I commend you for that. I think that's very cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I knew uh, what was coming down the pipeline for a long time. You know, we all kind of have it. And I still have amazing sponsors back home in Canada. Canada Beef's been one of my great sponsors. So I'm, you know, I'm still sponsored by some great companies and great partners. But um, this just running in red thing has been, you know, my little stepping out. And I've always, I don't know if you guys have seen like the outfits that people run with unattached. I'm just like, whoa, like that's so cool. Um, and so I, I just, Maggie, Bessie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like her outfits. I remember, you know, being in college and being like, that's awesome. Who's she running for? And they're like, oh, she's unsponsored. So she's making her own stuff. I'm like, that is so cool. Like, I don't know. That's amazing. So I always kind of had this thought. I was like, wouldn't it be fun to like pick out your own uniform and do like interesting stuff and, you know, run for what you truly want. And so um, I'm able to do that. And it's, been kind of exciting and fun and it's it's out of my comfort zone again for sure it's um you know something I've never done so it's been a a change and a fun experience but I encourage you know even if you're sponsored like have the causes that you're truly running for have something greater than just you because I think when you step on the track and you have something you know greater than yourself there um it just moves you and propels you um in ways that you didn't think you could and when it comes to like conventional sponsorship, do you do you see a world in which we move away from, you know, the shoe companies that have a strong hold on track and field right now? 
I think so because I think what we're seeing right now is people are able to do like smaller sponsorships. Um, you know, I've known so many athletes who are sponsored, you know, by a local bakery in their in their city or they're sponsored by like the car dealership that's local. But you know, those kind of things where we're seeing smaller sponsorships and we're not so beholden to shoe companies because I mean, one of the things that we need to remember is like the shoe companies I'm not going to say them for all, but they don't care about your personal life. They care about the time you run on the track and the medals you get. They don't care all the things you have necessarily done. And I'm not trying to speak for everyone, but all those companies, um, because I know there are a lot of great companies out there. But, you know, I think we need to realize and the world of sports has been realizing, especially this year, we are more than just an athlete. We are so much greater than that. We are role models in our communities. We are role models in the sport. And what are we truly trying to push here? Um, you know, medals in glory is truly great. It's awesome. But those aren't always the stories that inspire. And those aren't always the stories that get a young girl to lace up her spikes for the first time. You know, I remember watching Perdita um, fall at the Olympics. And I just, the heartbreak, and I was just like, oh, that would be so horrible. I'm like, she was so amazing to like still hold her head up high and get up after that. And, you know, just listening to her interviews and to what she did, that kind of inspired me as a young girl. So why can't we inspire others in other ways other than representing a shoe company and winning medals? I, I love everything you just said, Sage. And I think that what I'm starting to see is exactly what you've described, which is this trend towards away from like traditional sponsorship and into more like partnership, right? So where you're like working actively with and especially at the local level, because as we know, like you can have a, a like a, a national or a global reach, but starting with that local connection and an authentic partnership, right? And I think to Maddie's point about like moving away and kind of disrupting those traditional sponsorship models, it's really exciting. And it puts more power back into the hands of the athletes to use their platform to really stand for what matters to them, which is clearly what you're doing. And I think that's just so cool. Yeah, I think with these new sponsorships, we can all truly show what we're passionate about and what has like led us to where we are today. And I'm all in support of small sponsorships. I know that my sponsorship and partnership with Canada beef is really dear to my heart because my family grew up ranching and raising animals. And I just want to share about sustainability and agriculture and what it takes and where our food truly comes from. I'm passionate about that. And my family still has our cattle ranch. And so I just want to show people, you know, there is bad things about, you know, farming and ranching, but I want to show them that the truly like good that comes from it and, you know, how we maintain, you know, our provincial parks with the animals for grazing instead of burning down grasses. We use our animals to graze them out and, you know, how we treat our animals with care. And I just want to promote that and share that. And Canada Beef has been a great sponsor. And plus I get to cook some really cool recipes, which I love cooking. And so I just encourage you know, athletes out there, you know, what are you truly passionate about and what do you enjoy and find those really authentic partnerships? Because people see that on your social media and they can tell when you're like, oh, this fit tee is what made me run fast and makes me skinny. It's like, no, <laughs> it's the fact you run every day. You know what I mean? So I think people really see authenticity within partnerships and marketing. And I think that's coming, you know, becoming more apparent. And I think that athletes are starting to develop those smaller partner brands. 
Well, I plug this with um, a lot of our guests, but Sage is an especially excellent Instagram follow. So be sure to check out Sage. What's your handle again so that everyone can follow you on Insta? Uh, thanks. It's just Sage Watson. Just my name. Um, Easy peasy. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, and it's great because again, you can, I mean, I, first of all, the recipes. Awesome. Check out Sage's recipes, but also um, this way folks can follow along. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who are keen to contribute to a lot of the causes that you're, you're taking a stand for. So definitely follow Sage. But in the meantime, Sage, what do you have coming up on the competitive schedule in the next little while? Um, really excited. I'm racing this weekend in a 300 in Louisville. Um, and then hopefully, you know, meets once again are kind of hard to come by here, especially indoor seasons, you know, traveling a lot. So, um, maybe a meet after that, and then we'll start to get into March. Um, like I said, I just trying to, um, get back into this new fresh start in this new place. So I'm taking it month by month and seeing where that takes me. Um, so I'm just really excited and looking forward to this new, you know, running in red campaign and seeing how it goes this year. Well, you'll have to update us on how your race goes and good luck. Sage, it's just uh, such a pleasure to be kind of all three of us in the same virtual room again. We haven't been in person together uh, in six months, as we said, but uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining us on The Shakeout. And yeah, same thing. Best of luck this weekend and with everything else moving forward. Hopefully we'll all have an in-person reunion sooner rather than later. Yeah, we're rooting for you, Sage. Yeah, thank you. It was so fun to get to chat with you guys again, because like I said, our like Tokyo room was so special and awesome. So, you know, I wish you guys all the best as well. And I think we're all I mean, this is, you know, what it's about is, you know, women supporting women in sport and cheering each other on. And I think what you guys are doing and giving others a platform to talk and you guys sharing your stories is amazing. So keep on doing what you guys are doing. You're the best. Well, on to some of the results from the weekend, because Maddie, I have written in the script in all caps with an exclamation mark, track is back, because it is, baby. Track is back. It is back in a big way, and we should start with the New Balance Grand Prix, where Gabriella Debut Stafford set another Canadian record. Uh, she won the 3,000 meter in 8.33 and closed Her last 100 meter was 13 seconds, folks. 29 flat for the last 200. 29 flat for the last 200. And so that means that she ran 100 meters in, what, I guess 15, and then got faster to close in 13.1. Like, she's just um, an out-of-this-world talent. Like, I think we can just, like... Like, she just is. Like, that's just so remarkable in her season opener. And I know that season openers are a bit less of a thing the longer the distance you get. Like, famously, a marathon, you know, you run one a season. So I get that that changes the longer the event you're running. But it is still so, so, so impressive. And we cannot talk about this result without talking about Julianne Staley fourth in that race also under the old canadian record huge pb of 8:43 and julianne has had a weird weird <laughs> few weeks um some struggles getting into the country you know and and a very unconventional training plan 
And it shows you, you don't need fancy things, folks. You just need a whole lot of will and a healthy body. And she had both of those things. So kudos to these two women. The former Canadian record was held by Jess O'Connell um, at 8.46. Really fast time. Fantastic result. It's from a few years ago. Frankly, though, given the depth of our mid-distance women's running in this country, it was time to go down. So really cool to see both of our Canadians get well under this and both close in like blazing times. I think Julianne closed in 31 for her last 200 or 30 or something really, really fast. Like they both are just on fire, these two gals. So it'll be really fun to see what they do with the rest of their season. Other notable results from the New Balance Grand Prix were that Marco Arope broke four minutes for the mile yet again, running 3.59. Neat to see him flirting a little bit with those longer distances. Hint, hint, Maddie Kelly. And then also Philip Osei placed fourth in the 400 meter in his fastest season opener since 2015. He ran 46.59. So great Canadian results across the board on Staten Island, which is not usually where the New Balance Grand Prix is held, but cool to see it shifting locations. He can run track meets all over the world, ladies and gentlemen. Apparently, it's just a circle. It's a it's a 200-meter circle no matter where you go. Moving on to the Dr. Sanders Invitational, this famously takes place at the Armory in New York City, one of my favorite places to race indoors, one of my favorite meets. We didn't have very many Canadians competing there on the track, but we should just note that Sarah Mitten won the shot put in a new Canadian record of 19.16 meters. Um, This was previously held by Brittany Crew, and Sarah went out and took a hefty chunk off of it. So congrats to Sarah Mitten on your new national record. And this leads us to our third indoor result of third indoor meet. There were a lot of indoor meets, but the third one we're going to talk about, I'm going to let Maddie Kelly take it over because she was the star of this show. Maddie, tell us about the BU Scarlet invite. I ran the BU Scarlet Invite. Uh, It was my first real track, like indoor track race in two years. I ran a couple last winter. um, But honestly, one went terribly and the other one was a pace job for Lucia Stafford. So it didn't really feel like an indoor season for me personally. Uh, So I was just, I was so excited to travel to Boston again. I have very fond memories there. I've never had a bad race on that track. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was great. It was a really, really solid season opener. Um, I ran 240 for the 1K. And about 50 minutes later, I ran 202 for the 800. And it was, you know, the, the times I'm super happy with, but I'm also just, I'm so, I'm so proud of how it felt. It, it just felt really strong and smooth. And I don't think I had an appreciation for how hard it is to come back from a major injury. And I spent 2021 coming back from a major injury and 2022, Maddie feels like a very different runner. And uh, I'm, I am excited to see what the rest of the season will bring. So are we. We should mention that you won both of those races in pretty dominant fashion, which is excellent. And I got to give kudos to your filmographer, your videographer, your social media manager, whatever you want to call it, because we were all you kind of made this a thing last year, which I so appreciate. But there was no coverage, at least in Canada, of this meet. It was a mainly collegiate meet with a few awesome elites such as yourself sprinkled in. But the point is, I would not have been able to watch you crush these events had it not been for someone holding your phone and following you around the track. 
My sweet sister, her name's Erin. She's fantastic. She uh, she was a very uh, a great sidekick to have with me. She, um, I don't think she would mind me sharing this. Got COVID, uh, like everyone else at Christmas time, and uh, she was, you know, she got in just under the wire before the PCR was no longer available. Um, so she is, she was just, you know, free to travel without any worries about uh, testing, as she is within, you know, the recovery window. So. Because of that, she was able to come with me, which I'm super thankful because it's just it's it's so nice to have a loved one with you when you're when you're at a track meet. Absolutely. And we haven't had that for so long. Did you and your sister get to celebrate after? Did you go have a nice meal or do anything fun while you were in Boston? Yeah, we did. We we went for we went for a nice dinner. Uh she tried some French food. Uh she said that oysters are fine but she doesn't think she's an oyster person yet. Uh, so that's... It's an acquired that, taste. <laughs> yeah. I think the best part of her weekend is we got really good breakfast sandwiches on Sunday morning. And uh, that, yeah, she's she she's an a, a bacon and eggs kind of girl. Nice, nice. Well, that's great. That's such an exciting addition to the story that Erin got to travel with you. So hopefully we are entering the era of more and more family members being able to cheer us on in person. Just to round out the results from that BU Scarlet invite, uh, Stephen Evans of Ottawa won the men's 800 in 148, so two Canadian 800-meter wins up in Boston, down in Boston. And then Evan Burke, who is from London, Ontario, but competes for Stanford University, was second in the 3,000-meter in a new personal best of 758. It was his first time breaking that magical eight-minute barrier. So kudos to Stephen and Evan. Moving over to South Bend, Indiana, Aurora Rinda of Toronto ran the NCAA lead and a new Michigan school record in the 800 meter. She ran 202.8 at the Notre Dame Mayo Invitational. And I watched this race back after. Oh my gosh, she looks so good. And I trained with Aurora when she was younger. She was um, a member of the junior squad at U of T. And, uh, She's always been crazy fast. So, uh, yeah, this is this is a name you're going to keep hearing over and over again because this is a very talented young woman. Final piece of news, because, of course, track is back, but road racing continues across the world. And we have an exciting result out of Miami, where Lisa Brooking of Vancouver won the Miami Half Marathon in one hour, 20 minutes and change. Now, the fun thing about this story is that Lisa, she was actually our cover model for one of our print editions of the magazine not long ago. She has some great results um, on the roads from the last few years. But what's really fun about this is that this win was a total surprise, given that she signed up for the race on a whim since she happened to be in Miami on vacation. And so she found out that the race was happening and was like, ah, I'm on vacay. Why not try to win a race? And she did. She said it was a total surprise. She won by over two minutes. Fantastic showing for Lisa Brooking. Here's hoping that she was able to continue her vacation celebrations after this victory. It's a fun little way to do it. You know what I always thought about, Maddie, was that that race that happens in Hawaii like the Hawaii, the Honolulu half and full marathon, but then there's also usually like a road mile that's part of it. And it just always looks like such a blast. Like why not go to Hawaii in December and run in the heat and then jump in the ocean and eat a coconut? It sounds great. 
Oh, that's a hundred percent on the bucket list. You know, you know, that's sort of my whole philosophy with this is, you know, I want it to be running, but I also want it to be fun. And uh, I, I love building things into a weekend. I did just drag my sister to Boston just to hang out with me. So uh, Hawaii sounds right up my alley. Maybe next year, maybe next year, one step at a time. <laughs> Well, Maddie, I know that you have just come back from one race, but have a very quick turnaround, as you alluded to in our intro before you head off again this weekend. So where are you going and what are you hoping to do? I will be going to Boston and I will be running either a kilometer or an 800. Uh, The event remains TBD, but I'm excited. Gotcha. Well, you're obviously in super fast shape. Your results from this past weekend were thrilling. I hope that whatever you run, our listeners slash viewers at home will be able to follow along. But for The Rundown, I'm Kate. And I'm Maddie. And we'll bring you lots more soon. 